If you wanted to play volatility, if that was your kind of game, like short-term trades, uh, that wouldn't be like a bad stock to do it with. You know, if that's like that again, that's not what I do. I tend to to hold longer and have like a, a longer horizon on things. But in the short term, it's it's going to be kind of rocky. I, I even saw on that stock like one of those uh, firms that just like notoriously short sells companies and comes out and tries to really like poke holes in them. They targeted C three AI and they they dropped it like. 10% or more in a single day because they basically just submarine the stock and then people sold off. So like I said, it's 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 really up and down, but we were able to get in early and then as soon as it was, you know, well over 30, then it was it was time to to pull out of that. Hey, you got Luke Burgess here. Welcome to the Angel Research podcast. Uh, we are doing our podcast today on uh, 420. I know it's not going to come out till Monday, but uh, Today's 420, so got my special jacket on. Today, good, I'm, <laughs> today I'm here with uh, Jason Simpkins. Jason, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be here. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you. So, Jason, I, I want to jump into it. Today we're going to yeah. talk, talk about AI. We're going to talk about serious business today. Yeah. And I tell you, I'm a little bit upset. And here's why I'm upset. I, I'm upset that I did not make money on a, uh, an AI stock that you recommended. I was just talking to Luke Sweeney uh, a couple weeks ago on this podcast about investing in AI. I want to do it, but I, I, it's, it's something I really I don't know a lot about, so I'm intimidated about it. So uh, I, I'm upset that I missed out on it already. Yeah, well, we did. Like uh, a lot of people, it's been pretty volatile. Like that's been a really interesting and obviously like trendy play this year. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole thing, the full force of the market and the trend is behind that. So the stock that jumped off, the, it's uh, C3 AI. C3 AI. Right? Okay, so let's, let's start there. Tell, yeah. me, tell me about the company. Um, what they do, like just general stuff. So C three AI is a, you know, they're an artificial intelligence company. I came across them because they were doing preventative maintenance for the U.S. Air Force. Basically, they went through decades of data regarding our jet fighter fleet. Uh, you know, when breakdowns occur, what kind of parts go bad, basically. Uh, they had all this information the military did because obviously the military keeps some pretty diligent records. And so they were able to collect all of this data and synthesize it to the point where they could predict what was going to go wrong with a jet or a plane before it happened. Wow. So they could, you know, order the part and either, you know, replace it before it broke down or have it ready in case, you know, something did go wrong as, as they anticipated because they were able to kind of figure out the curve of the, the jet's life and all that stuff. So it was predictive maintenance. And because, you know, if you follow me at Secret Stock Files, you know, I focus a lot on defense sector. That's it. You know, it's all about, you know, national security and, and the military and defense technologies and what we're working on to – improve and be able to take on near pair adversaries like, you know, Russia and China. And so this is kind of one of the things. That's how I found them. Uh, they also do things like, especially for the military, uh, they can do the same kind of data analysis, just doing like basically, it's hard to explain. So other than saying they collect the data and synthesize it and analyze it and basically spit out actionable intelligence, okay? So they could do uh, like analyze insider threats. They can basically look at someone. They can go through personnel files in a way. It's the same thing. They can do security clearance and background checks. They can collect information on people and find out who is a risk basically for 
you know, flipping or leaking like we've seen in the in the past few weeks with the with the whole big leak that came out of the the National Guard. Uh, and it can the maybe the most important thing it can do is it can model missile trajectory. Okay, so right now a big thing that our military is working on is intercepting incoming missiles. Obviously, this is a big deal because I've talked a ton about hypersonics I over we're talking the about past the hypersonic missiles. year. Yeah, yeah, and how tricky they can be because yeah. they have what you know are called boost glide vehicles, where they they shoot up into low Earth orbit and then they detach from the glide vehicle, or they kind of you know swoop in and out and then fire down. It's not a perfect. It's curve not like, like a parabola. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like oh, your traditional ICBM where it goes up and it comes down on the target. Uh, and so being able to model missile trajectories is, you know, really important. So that's the kind of stuff that C3AI was doing. Uh, that's what led me to them back in August when I first recommended it to Secret Stockfiles. And then we cashed out of that with 130% gain on March 31st. Uh, we bought in at like 14, I think was, you know, last summer. Uh, and then things just got like, again, like this year, the momentum, the buzz around you know, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. It's really pushed that stock. It went up over like 30. It was at like 32 or 33 when we sold it. Now it's back down around 22. Uh, that was uh, in March? Yeah. I mean, I'll get back in if it gets closer to or below 20. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that right to back up and play the volatility on it. And I, I mean, it, it's a great long-term company, long-term, medium-term company. In the short term, though, you can see its stock price has just been, you know, up and down based on press, based on the media attention it's got, based on the retail investor interest it's got, based on institutions deciding that they really need to get in on AI. So it's a little bit tricky right now, but I mean, you could probably, you know, trade in and out of that stock over a period of weeks and months, just whenever it's under 25. I wouldn't recommend this as a, <laughs> like, I don't want this come off as actual investment advice. Like, don't necessarily do this. But like, if you wanted to play volatility, if that was your kind of game, like short term trades, uh, that wouldn't be like a bad stock to do it with. You know, if that's like that, again, that's not what I do. I tend to, to hold longer and have like a, a longer horizon on things. But in the short term, it's it's going to be kind of rocky. I, I even saw on that stock, like one of those uh, firms that just like notoriously short sells companies and comes out and tries to really like poke holes in them. They targeted C3AI and they, they dropped it like 10 percent or more in a single day because they basically just submarine the stock and then people sold off. So like I said, it's 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 really up and down. But we were able to get in early and then as soon as it was, you know, well over thirty, then it was it was time to, to pull out of that. Yeah. Do you think Chat GDP um has really opened people's eyes to like what AI can possibly do because ChatGDP to me is sort of like the the second thing in the second big development in in AI. The first one being um, the image generator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I think there's something to that in terms of public awareness. Yeah. You know, that's that's a hundred percent true. Uh, with respect again to just investing and looking at these kinds of companies, you know. It's been around a while. Like I said, it's been on my radar for a bit. Uh, even before C3AI, uh, another – and I don't mind giving it away here. But like another one of our stocks in our portfolio is uh, Palantir. Uh, a lot of people are pretty familiar with Palantir because 
it, it had a really great story. It was very secretive. Like the CIA was one of its earliest investors, you know, like the CIA actually has an investment arm that they go around investing in this stuff with and not that, but also Peter Thiel uh, was involved with it. So it, it, it was rumored that they helped catch Osama bin Laden, that they helped find Osama bin Laden. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. That's something they always just kind of wink at. They, they, you know, they've never taken specific credit for that, but that's just like the rumor. So when it IPO'd, uh, I think two years ago, uh, it was like one of like the the buzzier IPOs, uh, but again, I got into that because very similar to C three AI, they everybody's got data, right? Governments, especially government agencies, big businesses, large corporations, we all know they're they're just collecting scores of our data. They don't all necessarily know what to do with it. At some point, you have to take that data and you have to analyze it, and you have to come away with actionable insight. And so they were doing that, and. For national security purposes, they worked with uh, not only the CIA but the FBI, Customs Border Patrol. Uh, they were helping hunt down uh, undocumented immigrants. Uh, they were doing a lot of stuff. Uh, and now, uh, recently, they've been working with Ukraine. So what Palantir did – and Alex Karp, the CEO, actually flew out to Ukraine and met with Zelensky last year. and. They've been working on something that they, they're calling algorithmic warfare. And, but, but what they've effectively done there is they've given Ukraine access to over 300 commercial sa satellites. You know, like in, co companies like Airbus have them, you know, because you're flying planes. You, want, you need satellite imaging data. You need to know what the weather's doing all over the world or whatever. Uh, Maxar obviously is a huge satellite company and they have tons of, you know, data that they'll sell. You know, retail basically. Uh, uh, the National Oceanic Atmosphere Administration, they have satellites that do thermal imaging to detect wildfires. But they can also detect the same technology because it's thermal imaging, can also detect muscle flares from artillery, right? So it like coalesces all this data together and it uses it to identify the positions of the Russian forces. So if, if Russian artilleryman fires off a mortar, that gets picked up on thermal satellite imaging. And so do all these other things, whether, you know, they're moving, you know, massive equipment or whatever, you know, they can get that, put it all together in real time, and then put it immediately, give Ukrainian soldiers access to it in, on a basically an iPad, a tablet computer out in the field where they can see the updated, you know, map. They can look at it the same way you would look at Google Maps and zoom in, except they're, you know, doing it in real time, looking at Russian positions and then using that to target and then destroy. They could basically, I mean, imagine ordering a missile strike with an iPad or like an artillery strike with an iPad. And that's, that's what it does. And that's what Palantir is facilitating there. And so when we talk about AI and its kind of use, we're not necessarily talking about a sentient robot that is going to talk to you or whatever, you know, that may be fun. You know, it, it's cool to be able to interact with a computer, like it's a person or whatever, but it's really about collecting and synthesizing data and processing data in new ways and, you know, connecting the dots in ways that they hadn't previously been connected. Yeah. <clears throat> when I think AI on the battlefield, I mean, I immediately go to like Terminator. That's mm -hmm. not what we're talking about. Yeah. At least not for now, right? 
Not for now. It's going to get there. I mean, it will get to the point, and honestly, I, it's so kind of grim in a way to think about, but it's a step forward in that soon it is just going to be our robots fighting like robots China's versus robots. robots, not yeah. people versus and people. It's, you know, if you look at it, and I, I did talk about this recently, I'll have to see if I can dig it up, but you can look at a chart at uh, basically war-related fatalities by year which obviously peaked very high in World War II. And then you can see it trend down generally, even though it'll spike up in like the 60s, like the Vietnam War, what have you. You'll see little spikes when wars happen, but over the overall trend overwhelmingly is down. And that's because increasingly technology is taking over the roles that were once you know, done by soldiers. So that's going to continue. And the other thing about like, again, we can talk about this, it's separate but connected to uh, AI is like drone swarms, right? I've talked about how a company in, in Kratos, they make drones. Well, they make drones that are small if they can fit under a jet's wing and deploy and fly as companion aircraft. And they can fly ahead and look at enemy defenses, gauge or you know help with targeting effectively, like target identification, uh, even draw fire. Uh, drop their own ordinance, all that stuff, and protect uh, an F-35 that costs magnitudes more. You know, you have these, you know, fighter jets that cost billions and billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, versus a $5 million drone. So one's more expendable than the other. And it so it protects the plane as well as the pilot's life. And that whole idea of having companion craft is going to be transferable to every branch of the military. There are and will be, you know, autonomous submarines that will accompany our carrier groups, you know, that help protect our ships at sea. Maybe like our little RC cars next to our uh, <laughs> Humvees? Or, or, well, next to troops. There are troop tanks right now. I was actually, when I was writing a report about LIDAR, I came across a company that makes like, basically like a little, like a robot truck that just drives around and searches the perimeter. And it uses the LIDAR to look for, you know, things that the human eye isn't going to detect. And it can use thermal imaging to pick up on that stuff and, you know, alert a battalion of troops to a potential ambush. You know, they can identify IEDs. They can identify these things as well as assist in things like communications, logistics, targeting, and all that kind of stuff, all that logistical support that you really, really need in the battlefield. And again, when you get back to something like the war in Ukraine, the reason Ukraine has been so successful against Russia and Russia has failed so miserably is because the Ukrainians have done a much better job of that. They've done a much better job in terms of the logistical and, you know, strategic and, and getting people where they need to be to the right spots at the right time and, you know, basically hitting Russia before Russia hits them. They've done – and it's because of companies like Palantir and it's because of the technological advantage that they've had. Yeah, well, I mean, history has shown us it's it's te te technology wins wars. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's, I mean, it's that's not just might. It's it's your, it's smart. That's why, yeah, it was a lot of the greatest leaps and technological leaps we've had. Whether it's the internet, fiber optics, it has its roots in the military. Uh, and again, that's that's why that's basically the premise of why I launched my trading service. Uh, you know, we're we're determined to take advantage of all those things and you know profit from them like like we did with C3AI. Yeah. Do you think defense is uh, the biggest I mean it's certainly one of the biggest uh, sectors that's going to benefit or that's going to take advantage of the AI. Um, is it the biggest do you think? 
I don't know. Question. It's hard to say because here's the thing. It's going to be in every industry, every conceivable industry. And, and you know, one of the focus of like uh, one of my latest recommendations, which I can't talk about. Well, I could talk about it, but I can't I can't give away the company. But they basically make the brains of the robot, right? They make supercomputers and they make things like chassis and servers and cables and the CPU. But it's all ruggedized. And again, I found this company because of the work they do with the military. And what what's important is that, like, again, if you're going to be in, you know, a combat situation, whether you're going to be in a plane, whether you're going to be in Iraq, in the desert, you need to have a computer that can operate in a dust storm in Iraq or in extremely cold weather in, you know, northern Europe or whatever. So you need to have technology that works when you need it, and it needs to be able to process things very quickly on site. So talking about edge computing here, it's got to be able to process you know, on site rather than at a server farm somewhere in the Midwest or whatever. You need that kind of instantaneous thing. So there's this company that does that and they, they have, you know, a lot of hardware and software that goes into like the, the P-8 Poseidon aircraft. But they're also very big in the autonomous trucking sector, right? So there is a good example of an industry that is going to benefit greatly from AI and stuff like drones. Like I've got the stats. It's a uh, eighty thousand truck drivers short, uh, both in twenty one and uh, twenty uh, two. There was a labor shortage of about eighty thousand truck drivers. So, autonomous trucks are what trucking companies and companies like Amazon are going to rely on to fill that labor shortage. And that labor shortage is not unique to trucking. If you look around and we all know it anecdotally, like you go to restaurants and they're short on staff. There's like there's not enough waiters. You go to hotels, they're short on maids. You go to even airlines are having to cancel thousands of flights a year because they don't have the pilots. A pilot calls out sick and they got to cancel, you know, a dozen flights. And there's these labor shortages. That's where this stuff comes in. Okay, there's right now there's about. 10 million open jobs in the United States, and that's like according to the labor statistics. That's you know the Fed, and only about six uh, billion or million uh, unemployed people. So 10 million job vacancies, six million unemployed. There's there's no way to to bridge the gap other than to have robots and drones do these jobs for us. So that's why we're that's where we are where we are. I think I read that it, it 90% of long haul trucking could be autonomous by 2030. Like that's kind of the the rate of of growth. Are we talking like fully autonomous or is there still somebody going to There's two there? types. That's a good question. There's like we're I, I I think most autonomous trucking right now there are trucks right now that are just driving on the road by themselves. Uh, that exists. Uh, but there's also something called leader follower technology. And this is uh, just as important. It's something, too, I've talked about uh, with respect to Kratos because they were one of the companies that really helped develop it and bring it along. And leader follower technology is where you have one manned truck driving and then a bunch of autonomous trucks following behind it, and they'd follow the leader. Uh, so that for convoys, for trucking convoys, clearly would work well. But ultimately, 
yeah, I mean, it, it is just going to be once, and we all know they're, how hard they're working on this self-driving car technology. <laughs> you know, Tesla is really doing us a solid by running over so many pedestrians <laughs> to get this right. Uh, but, you know, that's that's ultimately where it's going. You know, obviously those kinks are going to have to get worked out. But, like, if you look, like I said, you want to be a long-term investor, you want to look five, ten years down the road, you you know, you this is obviously a technology you, you'd want to be a part of. I like this follow the leader technology. It gets, it's kind of like a, a highway train. Yeah, and it, that has been used. I, I I did talk about it here before, but with Kratos, and again, they're a company that makes so much mil- like equipment for the military. But a year or two ago, they had a problem uh, beet farmers in the Midwest were, again, shortage of licensed, commercially licensed truck drivers. Because if you're going to drive a beet hauling truck, a sugar beet hauling truck, you need to have a license to operate a, you know, uh, a loader like that. And so they didn't have enough drivers. They deployed leader follower technology so that they could haul the beets to the processing facility from where they were, from where they were going, from the basically the depots that they were being hauled, the supply stacks to the processing facility. And I'll tell you something else that's really neat about the leader follower technology. You don't build it into a car. They, they will give you a kit that you can put on a normal car that you will attach to the steering wheel and attach to the car or the truck in this case, and then it's ready to go. So you don't need a ground up self-driving car. You can get the the uh, applique kit and stick it in there on the trucks you already own. And it's less costly than buying another like big expensive, all just inherently autonomous truck. It's going to require less, you know, maintenance. It's going to be easier to maintain because if something does go wrong with it, you only need to get the kit fixed. You could take the kit off the truck and continue to drive the truck, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's ways that this is going to work uh, in the immediate term and in the short term before we arrive at any kind of utopia where trucks are just driving our goods on their own, and we're all just sitting in self-driving cars sipping wine. But like, it's gonna—I'm sure we'll get to that point. But for now, we're here. Yeah, yeah. My uh, father works in a tennis court company, and uh, he's always had to make delivery deliveries. And there's like these huge deliveries that need to be made. And yeah, that would—that would—he would save tens of thousands of dollars a year if with just implementing this uh, set uh, user that leader follow technology. That's yeah. very interesting. I mean, it's all kind of, and it's, it, like I said, it really is ubiquitous at this point. It's kind of getting there. You can put it even like a smaller, more, you know, granular scale. So like I was, and I must sound like kind of weird because I've been talking to people about this incessantly, but like in February, I was on a road trip and I dropped into a McDonald's and uh, there were no cashiers there. It was just a, a kiosk in the middle of the store, and you would go up to the kiosk and put your order in there on the computer and then take a number and then go sit where you wanted to sit, and then they would bring it out to you. Um, and so, like, that was the first experience I'd ever had like that at a fast food restaurant. But, you know, this is the type of thing where necessity is the mother of invention. You're McDonald's. You can't hire enough cashiers. You can't get enough people to do these menial labor tasks. So now you're filling in the gaps with a kiosk where people can order and bring it out. And what's key about this too is that the human employees, some of them are still there. The ones that, you know, wanted jobs or were there to work, they were there and they were able to focus on like higher order concerns. This was without question the cleanest, most well-managed McDonald's I've ever been in my life. Like it was it was so like like peerless. And it's because while 
the machine was taking my order while the you know kiosk took my order and did all that, they were able to go around and focus on higher order stuff. They were straightening out basically online pickup orders. Uh, they were, you know, making sure everything was going all right in the kitchen, that they, they, they weren't shorthanded there and that the food was coming out fast and that everything was hot. They like they were on top of everything because they didn't have to be bolted to a cash register. And so on that level, you're seeing it. And it was also incidentally, McDonald's also just opened in Texas. It was like experimental, like like almost it's and again, it's not fully automated. But it's mostly automated. You you put your order in on the app. You pull up to the drive-through, and your order comes down on a conveyor belt. And you never talk to a human. And there are humans inside making sure everything's moving along and getting things in the right place. But you, as the consumer, never have to interact with a human. And Luke, I'll tell you something. There are millions of introverts out there, just like me, that love to avoid human interaction. I've been thinking, when can I get my hair cut from an AI robot so I don't have to tie I swear I'm thinking this. Like, when yeah. I, yeah, 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 just, uh, ah, like finally. Yeah. Uh, you just, don't have to talk to their hair. All this people. uncomfortableness. Like, ah, no, no. It's just, you just deal with the robot. You just deal with the technology. And again, I know, like the fear-mongering side of it, the, the sci-fi side of it that makes it all feel dystopian. Uh, at times, it, 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 it creates like this kind of dark cloud o- over like the possibilities. But in reality, when you see it in practice, it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a, very, a similarity between the internet and the AI because in the 1990s, it was dark. It was all scary. You, you, you're going to get killed when you go yeah. online. And now people are like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's an immutable part of life. I mean, the internet, like everyone uses it almost every minute. I mean, you know, everything. So Our grandmothers are using the internet. You exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it, AI is going to be sort of like that. I don't think it's going to be quite as transformative as the internet was. I think, you know, obviously the internet is the internet. It's like the invention of electricity itself. I mean, it, it was game changing. But with AI, I think it's going to be one of these things that as people see it more and get more comfortable, and they might not even recognize it as such in the moment. They're not, probably not, they might not see it at McDonald's kiosk the same way I did and be like, oh, this is the, the robot takeover. They just you know, see it as a new is, way that McDonald's Yeah, it's just like, things. oh, we're just doing this now. Yeah. Like, okay, like, but... That is it. It's just kind of gradually going to get absorbed into our way of life. You know, people won't think anything about having a drone deliver their Amazon package. They won't think anything about this kind of stuff. You know, we'll live in a time where ultimately, I don't know, maybe our grandchildren will will not know a life where they had to get a driver's license, you know? Uh, so I would love that. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's the progression. That's how society works. I mean, and it's funny because sometimes I think about this and I think about some of the fear-mongering headlines I see and stuff, and it really just reminds me of, like, you know, the old John Henry story. Like, it's the old, like, steel-driving man. Like, oh, no, like, the, the steam steel driver is going to take off our jobs, you know? Like... Yeah, and you know what? Railroads are going to get built faster for it, and then you're going to have better jobs. You're not going to have to stand out in the sun with a hammer pounding railroad spikes into the ground. It's not as bad as it seems. Like, you don't have to die for it, John Henry. Like, you can just go to McDonald's and get your burger. Like, it's not a big deal. So let me ask you this. Uh, It's something that I've been asking all all writers, and I feel like among writers, it's kind of the secret question. Do you use ChatGDP? No. 
You don't use ChatGPT. I tried using it once and I, I couldn't figure it out. I'm almost ashamed to say it because I'm like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of felt like I was too old for this shit. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to tell this thing? What are people typing in here to get like this like prompt stuff? But also, in, it's my nature. I really love writing. Uh, I, you know, I studied at college. I, I've always loved writing. I love thinking about it. I love you know just words and word games. And so, for me. That would take the fun out. Yeah, it has something know? else to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, in music production, you know, there's like uh, AIs are making AIs making music. music now. Like, what's the fun in that? Who wants to make a have just a program right. an AI uh, a machine to make a song for you? That doesn't. Uh, to me, I could see it being like ambient noise or something. You know, like some well, kind of like it's kind of background thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, like, I mean, what would you could you go to a concert where they just you know, oh, it's the AI bot. Everyone enjoy. Like, clap you your hands. Not, you're not gonna enjoy making that as <laughs> oh, much as you are no you know, physically. certainly not no i don't think you're gonna enjoy listening to it as much either i mean there's i don't like that's the kind of stuff that i think people are afraid we're gonna lose like real music or something or you know creative impulse or jobs for creators i don't think that's gonna be the case i don't think, I don't think that so you know ai renderings are gonna put artists out of work yeah. I, like i I think there's always going to be a place for that, you yeah. know. Uh, I mean, if that weren't true, like you know, it's almost like saying, like, oh, well, we have photography now. I guess this is gonna, this is, this is the death knell for painters, you know. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just kind right, of like, right. no, it's just a new medium. I'm sure somebody said that back then. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, some right. painter just yeah, like yeah, just yeah, punched yeah, a yeah. hole in his yeah. canvas. Like, now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this: in what's the what's the next thing, the next development? Do you think for AI because what we seen was that we had um, images, gener image generators. Now we have text gener generators. Yeah. Now we're having uh, uh, video generators. What's after that? Um, what yeah. do you think? I don't know. I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not Elon Musk or whoever. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Whoever, whoever's job it is, is yeah, going to come up with. That. It's a good question. It's a thought provoking question. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's already, yeah. I, I don't have an you answer for that one. Okay. I don't know. Well, okay. Where do you think the money is going to be? In, in, oh. in like, is it going to be in the software, in the hardware, both? All of the above. All of the above. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I said, the company that I just recommended, it's it's only uh, it's still under four dollars a share, uh, and they make hardware. Like I said, mostly. I mean, they make the supercomputers. They make the actual brains of the robot. You know, so no matter what kind of software or task performing software you want program into it, you know, that's your business, but it can work just as effectively in uh, an autonomous truck as it can in a spy plane. So, you know, I, I think that's that's a great way to look. Uh, all these software companies, uh, C3AI is often referred to as the only quote unquote pure play in AI right now. I've been working on trying to find just kind of like others that are a little bit more direct because I'm like, how can that be true? You know, you can't be the only one. Right. Um, and then but like I said, all these companies that, you know, work on drones uh, and, you know, honestly, a lot of these heavy hitting companies too, the big ones, they're going to catch up. Companies like IBM. I mean, IBM has been working on this kind of stuff since Watson. Remember when I had this robot on Jeopardy or whatever? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Like this has been going on. Deep a bit. blue. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so all those companies where it's IBM, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they're all going to 
they're all going to wet their beaks in it. They're all going to get a taste of this. Uh, so, but I do think it's important now, like I said, to lock in on little companies. I mean, C3O is a good example of one that was a small company, and now it's it's probably going to get a lot bigger. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, the other company that I recommended is under four dollars a share. That's a that's a small cap company. So there there are smaller plays out there if you can find the facilitators. You know, if you can if you want to look for them, if you want to go hunt for them, they're there. Okay, last question. Yeah, where is the hub of AI? Is it still in Silicon Valley? Hey, as far as I know, uh, you know, and it's certainly if you're going to talk about investing in, or anything like that, because I mean, what what's the alternative really? In you can't invest in a state-owned company in China, right? Yeah. So, like, if someone's going to come up with competing technology, we know who it's going to be, and it's not France, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, if, you know, that's I, you know, I've never like I've I feel like I repeat myself a lot on this podcast sometimes, but I've never been a China guy, and I'm just I'm not that guy. I'm not a China guy. So, I I, I think yeah, it, it's got to be it's got to be you know United States, and I know. There's been a big initiative to reshore a lot of, uh, you know, especially like semiconductor jobs and manufacturing jobs and, you know, kind of rejuvenate our tech sector a little bit in terms of like the actual production and get, you know, attract talent from, you know, the STEM proficiencies and stuff like that, get more scientists, get more engineers. And, you know, the United States is we're always going to be great at that. We're always going to attract talent, you know, at least until the next civil war happens or whatever. We're going to attract talent. And you can see other countries don't necessarily have that. And a good example of that would be like Russia. You know, there's a lot of brain drain from Russia because you got people fleeing a war. You know, you've got people fleeing autocratic regimes. Like, despite what their propaganda is going to tell you, people don't like to live under dictatorships. They don't like to they don't like that, yeah. have, you know, their, you know, politicians assassinated and, you know, be, have their children sent off to invade countries that they could care less about. You know, they don't want that. So, you know, as long as America is around doing what it's doing, it's going to attract that kind of talent. It's going to attract talent to its universities. It's going to attract talent to its government jobs. It's going to attack, uh, attract uh, talent to Silicon Valley and, and all the big companies back there because this is a capitalist society and you can make a lot of good money doing yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's all very exciting to me. Uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds for AI. I mean, I, I think that we are on the, the cusp of another tech revolution in the next five years. I think we might not recognize society, to be honest with you. Yeah. Or like I said, I think it'll be so I think it'll be so kind of gradual that, you know, it'll it'll just be normal. And, and yeah, you might look back on it the same way you look back at a picture from like 1997 and you go, oh, yeah, the world was different back then, you know. But at the same time, this stuff creeps in so gradually, just like one day you wake up and it's here and it's a part of the culture and it's a part of the lexicon <clears> and it's part of like everybody's, you know, kind of shared collective focus and imagination. One and, day I had a pager yeah. and the next day I had a smartphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and then like no one thinks twice about that yeah, anymore. Yeah. That was a tremendous leap of technology. And like... Like, you know how quickly I forgot about my iPod? And my yeah. iPod was a tremendous technological leap when I first got it. I was like, this is incredible. I don't have to burn CDs anymore. Burning CDs was incredible technological yeah, for yeah, me yeah, when yeah. I was a teenager. You know, like, oh, you make these, you hit these milestones, but then you're right on to the next one, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, Simpkins, thank you so much for being yeah, here. no problem. Um, thanks for being, joining us on the Angel of Research Podcast. We will see you next time.